What do Irish whiskey and modern communications have in common? How can an apple, an onion, and a potato all have the same taste? If you're drunk. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sorry. I was thinking of whiskey. All right. Answers to those and other questions coming up in this episode of The Off-Ramp with Bob. And Marcia, don't call me Marcia Smith. Well, oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Play the music, Lester. Welcome to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and have some perspective on life. Okay, Marcia, what do Irish whiskey and modern communications have in common? You got to give me a little more info. Okay, I'm talking about television, radio, and microwave communications. They all lead back to it. Whiskey? Irish whiskey. <laughs> Irish whiskey. All right, enlighten me. Okay, they all lead back to radio, which leads back to Marconi, which leads back to Irish whiskey, because Guillermo Marconi, most people recognize him as Italian. He descended from a powerful family of Italian noblemen, and he's also descended from Irish royalty of sorts, the Jameson Whiskey Fortune. Marconi's mother was Anne Jameson. She was the granddaughter of John Jameson, the founder of the whiskey distillers Jameson & Sons, whose brand Jameson is still in the business today. She nurtured his interest in experiments in electromagnetism, which was the coming thing in science. And he was self-taught. He didn't have any formal training. But his mother, she used her fortune to help educate Marconi with a parade of famous scientists. And through her business connections, she got the British post office to invest in his experiments. And in 1897, he set up the first wireless factory in Chelmsford, England, with a staff of 50 people. And then over the next two years, he began making wireless transmissions. All of that comes from a book called Marconi, The Irish Connection by Michael Sexton. He says that people didn't appreciate how important it was to get rid of the wires. Wired telegraphy was the latest communications technology with transmissions moving over wires in Morse code, and Marconi freed them from the wires. He also transmitted the first voices using wireless telegraphy, which then became known as radio. And a great reason for all of that was his mother. She funded all his research. She helped him set up his company, paid for all the radio research he did, which led to television, radio, and microwave communications. She used her fortune. So the next time you take a drink of Irish whiskey, you can thank it for modern communications. Do you like that? Well, it's a bit esoteric, Oh, Bob. come on, Marsh. <laughs> That's how Irish whiskey, specifically Jameson's, helped make modern communications possible. All right, let's get, let's get to something more fun. What, then, then drinks and alcohol? Okay. <laughs> well, nothing's better than a good glass of Irish whiskey and an apple, an onion, and a potato. Okay, how can, and your question is, how do an apple, onion, and potato taste the same? Yeah. How can they taste the same? Yeah. And I joked it as when you're drunk or yeah, out of was, your head. Yeah, that was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> but what's the real answer? Well, as you know, 80% of our taste is made up of? Our brain. Smell. Oh, smell. Okay. So the only difference in flavor of an apple and onion and potato are caused by smell. So if you pinch your nose and just take a bite, you know, a little bite so you can't tell what the uh, source is, a bite from 
a piece of each of those foods, they will all taste sweet and they will all taste the same. Oh, I'd never thought of that. An apple, an onion, and a potato. How can you make them taste the same? Hold your nose. Yeah. That's the answer. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Okay. Okay, I've got a better question. (laughs) An apple, an onion, and a potato walk into a bar. (laughs) Which one is the most popular? Well, I would say the apple. No, no. They all have appeal. Uh, <laughs> you have to feel... Very good. Yeah. Okay. I have a plant question. All righty. Those are all plants. How many plants are known to have medicinal uses? Wow, a lot of them, I'll bet. Numbers, Marsh. Oh, for God's sake. In sakes. thousands. In thousands. How would I... Okay, 6,423 and a half. Well, you're off by about 14,000. Right. Uh, <laughs> because the World Health Organization lists at least 20,000 plants that are being used for therapeutic purposes. Well, see, I, I truly believe that all cures are in nature and uh, that if we only could figure it out, the answer is around us. I think you're right. I and think you're right. I think those daffodils in the front yard here could probably save that's, your life That's someday. why I'll be out there eating the tulips <laughs> the next time you look. You can call them, take me to the funny farm, but I'm just trying to get healthy. That's what I was trying to do. Yeah. Hum- okay, 20,000, huh? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. As you know, Bob... The majority of the earth is covered in water. Mm-hmm. How much? Three quarters, isn't it? It's 71%. Okay. Very good. And if the earth was smooth, you know, no mountains or hills or anything, mm-hmm. and all the land areas then would be covered with seawater mm-hmm. to a depth of what? So is this like the height of a 17-story building, something like that? Well, I don't know how tall a 17. What is the answer, Mark? The answer is almost 9,000 feet or one and two-thirds miles deep. If the earth were flat, just a round surface, but it was flat. All smooth, right? All one level. It'd be almost two miles deep. That shows you the depth of the oceans. Yes, because it gets very deep. So it'd be two miles deep on top of the land as well. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, 9,000 feet. 9,000 feet. And one and two-thirds miles, actually. That's about... That's that's a wet fact, Marsh. (laughs) Thank you, Bob. All right. I've got some questions that are movies, movie-oriented, okay? Okay, good. What famous actor was the inspiration for Bugs Bunny's Carrot Munch? Carrot Munch? Carrot Munching. You know, his trademark carrot chomping. Bugs Bunny eats carrots. Yeah. What's up, Doc? All right. Yeah. What famous actor was the inspiration for that? There was an animator watching a film when he got the idea. Now, this was back in the 30s. What famous actor... Inspired Bugs Bunny's carrot oh, munching. Oh, was it like Moe from Harry Curly and Moe? No, it wasn't slapstick. It was Clark Gable. No. Yeah. It was a scene from the classic It Happened One Night with Claudette Colbert. And according to the book Who Knew by David Hoffman, it was the sight of Clark Gable peeling a raw carrot with a penknife and then munching on it as he taught Claudette Colbert how to hitchhike. That inspired Bob Clambett, the animator, to give Bugs Bunny his trademark carrot chomping. Well, he never did that in the movies before. But he thought, you know, he should probably be eating a carrot while he's yeah. doing other oh, things. A little bit of business, so to speak. It, it, that's right. Oh, I love it. I love the inspiration for things. They're usually so off the wall. And I never thought of Clark Gable like... No, no, no. Hey, baby. <laughs> Let's go munch you a carrot. You and me have a little carrot munch. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Bob. What fish actually freezes into suspended animation in winter and comes back to life in spring? Wow. 
Dormant, goes dormant. Well, more than dormant, it just completely freezes. Wow. But doesn't die. So it's not like a bear that's still breathing and Right, it's hibernating, and yeah, this one. Is this a famous fish? I don't mean like a a celebrity fish, like Nemo. (laughs) I mean, if it's Nemo, tell me. It's the Alaskan blackfish, which hangs out in the Arctic region. Mm -hmm. And when winter comes, the waters all turn to ice, and so does he. And when spring comes... He comes back to life and swims away. Okay, so that's the male black fish of this species. What about the females? Jeez, I didn't know there was gender specificity here. Very important. You have to be sensitive to these things <laughs> these days, Marsh. You called the fish a he. What uh, about the she? Yeah, the fish. Okay. Yeah, think about it now. I ain't woke, apparently. Okay. <laughs> All right, here's one. Why is an informer called a stool pigeon? Oh, that's a good question. Why is an informer called a stool pigeon? So it has something to do with somebody sitting down. I don't know. What is it? Why is it? In their efforts to attract passenger pigeons, hunters would tie or nail a single pigeon to a stool Uh and wait for a flock to be drawn to the cries of the desperate bird. Then as they approached, the birds would be slaughtered by the thousands. This practice continued until the species became totally extinct. The poor bird that unwillingly played the traitor was called a stool pigeon. And it was the last to die. Yeah. How sad. Well, it was on a stool calling for help. Man, and that is that ever cruelty to animals? Yeah. Holy tie them to cow. A, tie them to a stool. Oh, dear. And, uh, yeah, that's... Uh, Okay. And people at the time, they killed them by the thousands. One, they liked to eat them. Yeah. And two, they were a perceived threat to agriculture. Well, they were considered a pest, yeah. And they came in swarms. I mean, yeah. they blackened the sky, passenger pe- pe- pigeons. Yeah, there's not any left. That's hard to believe. Yeah. That's a lot of killing. Well, they were. there was a whole you know, concerted effort to slaughter them. Because yeah. they were considered such pests. It's like, you know, uh, grasshoppers were during the uh, the times in the Great Depression when they had the big dust bowls and stuff. And uh-huh. all these animals came in and just took away all the crops. That's the way they felt about passenger pigeons. Okay. All right. Here's a question, another film question. All right. What famous work of literature inspired Disney's Frozen films? A famous work of literature inspired oh, Disney's famous Frozen. Work. Is this a literature films. I know? <laughs> yeah, it, it'd be an author you've heard of. Heard of, but do I know the book? Probably not. Oh, then what is it? It's Hans Christian Andersen's The Snow Queen. Oh, this I... was a story published in 1844. I find this interesting. The book was New Fairy Tales, Volume 1, Second Collection. <laughs> so even, what? even in 1844, they were, there was a lot of work being published. So, oh, wow. Yeah, New Fairy Tales, First Volume, Second Collection by Hans Christian Andersen. The story was The Snow Queen. And get this, the names of four of the Disney film's main characters were intended as a tribute to him. They are Hans, Christoph, Anna, and Sven. Now say oh, those fast. Yeah. Say them together. Hans Christoph Anna Sven sounds like Hans Christian Andersen. Well, that's that's an interesting fact. I love it. That's very nice. Okay, two-part question. Okay, part one. What are the fastest growing hairs on the human body? Where are they? Uh, oh, I'll bet they're in body orifice where you have to have like nasal hairs and things like that. Hairs in your ears. You know, the hairs <laughs> that have to be... This isn't personal, Bob. Oh, okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, the hairs that have to be there to yeah. catch dust. Yeah, I would well, think they'd be replaced quick more quickly yeah, than stuff. You're in the vicinity. I'm in the vicinity. Okay, it would be uh, the hairs on men's faces, the shaving hair. It's the, hairs. the beard. The yeah. beard, okay. Yeah, it's the fastest growing hairs on the human body, anybody's body. Hmm. And you're going to give me a, a gender problem with that? What about the bearded lady, Marsha? Right. Well, she I was know. in the circus. They are minimal. Okay. But if the average man never trimmed his beard, how long would it grow in his lifetime? That's part two. Oh, part two. Just take a guess. In your lifetime. How long would it grow? Yeah. In feet. I'll bet three feet. No, 30. 30 feet? Yeah, can you imagine dragging? Oh, oh man. God, would that be gross? Just think of cleaning that up after a meal. Oh, <laughs> oh and there's all your crackers. Piece Bob. of hamburger over here, Bob, too. Get huh? those saltines out of here. All right, I think, I think we have time for a break now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get into some better topics okay. here. Okay. You're listening to The Off Ramp with Bob and Marcia Smith. We'll be back with more right after this. Okay, we're back. No more talk about beards. Oh, can we talk about water? Oh, sure, sure. In the average body. (laughs) In the average body. (laughs) Yes, you could. I went down a a human body thing. So how much water, Bob, is in the average human body? That's a good question. Isn't it, though? I list one of our recent shows about how many pints of blood were in the body. Yeah. Is this in pints or gallons? Gallons? Yes. So I'd say two gallons of water. In your body. That's a lot of way. You ever see two gallons of milk? That's I know, that's a lot. But think of it, it's in all of your tissue and everything. Yeah, it's 14 gallons. Holy cow. Yeah. So if you could take a body and squeeze it (laughs) like a dish rag, you'd get 14 gallons out of us? That's hard to believe. Wow. And uh, you also have in your body traces of gold, 0.2 milligrams, which is important to have in your body because it actually helps maintain your joints and helps facilitate transmittal of your electrical signals. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, so I'm wondering if my gold wedding ring This is probably why you want more jewelry now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I wasn't going to go there until we got off the air. (laughs) Let's keep me away from arthritis and cover me in gold. Okay. Okay, another science question, Marcia. True or false, a falling object travels slower at the equator than at the north or south poles. A falling object travels slower at the equator than at the north or south poles. Um, I think it'd be the opposite. Oh, you think that the it would fall faster at the equator yeah. than at the north or south poles. Well, you're wrong. <laughs> you say with such delight. <laughs> I love this. No. What's the difference? Hardly any difference. Uh-huh. Okay. But uh, most people assume gravity is the same everywhere on Earth, but it actually varies. Gravity is weaker at the equator due to the centrifugal forces produced by the Earth's rotation, and gravity is also weaker at higher altitudes. Yeah, well, we know that. Well, like Mount Everest, for instance. Yeah. So the lesson is, if you want to lose weight, move to Mount Everest. <laughs> The good news is you'll weigh 1% less. The bad news is your body mass won't change. <laughs> I'll take what I can get. That means your ass will be just as <clears throat> Pardon me? Your body mass, I said, <laughs> won't change. Let's get to another topic. Let's move out to some geography questions, some okay. of your favorites. Oh, you God. Just, you love geography questions. I love the animal questions. Yeah. Geographically speaking, there are three unique things about Juneau, Alaska. Yes. The capital city of Alaska. Yes. The clues are land, sea, and air, and international relations. 
Land, sea. <laughs> Let me give you those clues That's again. That's what a, a pregnant pause is called. Land, was... sea, air, and I don't know, international relations. Okay, oh, no. land. Okay. In land. terms of area, square miles, Juneau is the largest state capital in America. In fact, it's uh, 3,255 square miles. It's almost as large as the states of Rhode Island and really? Delaware put together. Wow. Well, that's curious. It's the second largest city in America in terms of land mass. Okay. Well, what's the first? Jacksonville, Florida. Really? C- yeah, in terms of the land. Okay. Sea and air. What about those two clues? Uh, it doesn't have any air. <laughs> Juno has no air. Okay. Am I wrong? <laughs> yes, you are. Okay, then tell me. Juno can only be reached by boat yeah. or plane. That I actually knew. And it's unique among the 49 U.S. capitals on the mainland of North America. There are no roads connecting the city to the rest of the United States hmm. or to the rest of the state. What's the only other state capital not connected by road to the rest of North America? Say again, what's the only... What's the only other state capital not connected by roads to the rest of North America? You've been there. I've been there. State capital. It's very remote. Very remote state capital. It's out in the middle of the ocean. Oh, Honolulu. Honolulu, Hawaii, right. Yeah, that's the only other state capital not connected by roads to the rest of North America. But if you've been to Honolulu, you know there are interstate highways around the island. Yeah. Okay, who is Juno named after? This is kind of funny. I just brought well, it up. Well, wasn't he an explorer? It was Joe Juno. <laughs> <laughs> really, that was his name. He was a Joe Juno. <laughs> a gold prospector from Quebec, Joe Juno. Although for a time the town was named Harrisburg after his partner Richard Harris. So, no kidding. And here's my last fact <laughs> about Juno. There are only 32,000 people there. Really? Yeah. But it's estimated there are 15,000 to 30,000 bald eagles there. Wow. More it's bald eagles than people. Almost as many. And it's considered one of the best places in the world to, to see, see a bald eagle. I bet you that's fantastic to So see. some facts there about Juneau, Alaska. Thank you, Bob. Don't say you never learn anything by listening to this. <laughs> you know? We try to cover you, all the bases. You are just a wealth of... Including the longest hairs on your body. And... <laughs> okay, what else you got over there in that strange mix of topics you yes. have? Claude Monet, Bob. Claude Monet. One of the great French impressionists. impressionists yes. He was born in 1840. And his paintings today sell for an average seven million bucks. Wow. But he lived in poverty like many of the great artists of his time. Mm-hmm. And then something happened to change his luck. I know what that was. What? He won the state lottery. Yes! <laughs> How did you know that? I think we covered that once earlier. Yeah, he won the uh, a French lottery. Yeah. And that uh, that gave him all the money he needed for the rest of his life? He did. It was 100,000 francs, about $13,000. And he was able to spend the rest of his life painting happily. 36 more years he in uh, relative comfort he lived, and he died in 1926 at the age of 86. Now there, there's a good ending to a story of a man in poverty who likes art. Yeah, and made art. And made art, yeah. And you look at people like uh, Picasso. He was so poor that he burned his own paintings to stay warm. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. He left so much work, though. They're still, the family is still releasing artwork every year. That's being sold for hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay, here's another weird factoid. Did you know in her entire lifetime, Spain's Queen Isabella only took two baths? 
Oh, no. God. <laughs> really? Yeah. She lived 1451 to 1504. A little bit stinky, I think. Wow. Only two bats. Was it considered unhealthy at the time? I don't know, but she didn't like them. That's the only fact you have about but her, That though. is. I'll have to look more. I'm sure there's more to be said about Isabella. But well, I think she convinced Ferdinand, the king, to give money to Christopher Columbus. That's, yeah. Probably to go find a new bath place. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Just, uh, he, and he left so he could get away from the smell? I don't oh, know. Marcia, oh, Marsha. Marsha, Marsha, That is. Okay, Marcia. go ahead, Bob. Your okay. turn. Okay. What is the only state whose name is one syllable? Maine. Yes. Yes, I thought of Jeopardy. I thought you hit the button. Me. Yes, that's right. Maine. M-A-I-N-E. Thank you. Okay. If you're an American and you live in Podunk, yeah. what state do you live in? Podunk. Uh, it's an actual yeah, place. Yeah, I know. Podunk, uh, Indiana. It's not where any of my relatives in, live. Indiana, New Jersey. Or yours, for that matter. Podunk. Uh, I've heard it. New York? No. What? Massachusetts. Okay. I knew I thought it was out east. Yeah, Podunk is in Massachusetts. It's actually part of East Brookline, Massachusetts. But I thought that was just a oh, no. weird, strange, derogatory term. I, maybe it is in Massachusetts. You're from that, Podunk. Yeah, it's one of the uh, names I think that George Burns said are funny. Intrinsically yeah. funny. There are like uh, Poughkeepsie. Yes. Podunk. Those are funny. That's right. Just by saying them out loud. Mm-hmm. Okay. So next question. Why did Winston Churchill... Prime Minister of England, have for most of his life a fear of the date January 24. Hmm. A fear of the date January 24. Uh-huh. That wasn't when he had his heart attack, was it? No. I don't know. What was it? He was certain that would be the day he would die because his dad died on that date. And he lived until he was 90 years old, and he died in 1965. And guess which day he died? That day? Yeah. Wow. January 24. You know, well, it probably is just a fear of it. He had, and, he had such a phobia about yeah, it, then it happens. I think you can manifest it. Well, speaking of dying, how did Europeans once use Egyptian mummies to cure disease? Was there something in the mummified... Yes. Uh, well, b- they thought bodies. there was. Okay. Yeah, I, I, and they took it out and ate it or something. Believe it or not, they used mummy powder, the actual remains of Egyptian oh, royalty. Oh, dear, yes. And they thought it cured disease. The mummy powder was considered a standard drug in the European medicine chest until the 18th century. Now, there was some criticism of the practice, but that didn't stop doctors from prescribing mummy powder. Oh, mummy powder? <laughs> as a cure for internal ailments. No kidding. Powder from the bodies of the Egyptian mummies was swallowed as part of the treatment until science and common sense prevailed and stopped the practice. What year was that? Oh, this was in the uh, 18th century. Huh. Wow, that's that's one for you, huh? Yeah. Okay, another question. What do chess, hot air balloons, and fishing poles have in common? Chess, hot air balloons, and fishing poles. Three very different things. Yeah, okay, tell me. They were all invented by the Chinese. Oh, wow, gee, that's pretty random. Well, no, it's not random. In fact, the Chinese are credited with many recreational innovations. I think of them as being more with uh, practical things. Uh But in addition to chess, hot air balloons, and fishing poles, they're also credited with inventing the fishing hook, kites, parachutes, and, of course, Fireworks. <laughs> well, yeah, and a ton of other stuff. Yeah, too. a lot of other things too. But yeah, I just yeah. thought those were three random things to pull together and say who invented these things. Oh, and okay. you thought they were random, so I, I guess I succeeded. Yeah, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that you did, lad. <laughs>
Okay. Okay. It's baseball season, Bob. Okay. In, <laughs> in baseball, there are seven different ways to reach first base. How many can you name? Well, okay, reaching first base, obviously you can have a hit. Mm-hmm. You can be walked there. Yeah. If the batter's struck by the pitch. Okay, of course. You yeah. get to walk there. If the catcher interferes with the at-bat. Okay. If the catcher drops the ball on strike three. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. That's an arcane rule. Uh-huh. I didn't know that. Or if the pitcher throws the ball out of the playing area, you know, throws a wild pitch, you can just trot off to first base. And finally, here's one I didn't know. The seventh way a batter can get on base is if the baseball becomes stuck in the umpire's mask or equipment. <laughs> There's, I think there's more of a problem there for the umpire oh than the gosh, rest of the game. Yeah. I wonder why they made that one of the rules. Well, obviously it's happened. Yeah, but You know, I mean, they got those face masks. I know, but the game keeps going on, even yeah. though the umpire is near death because of something that's <laughs> happened. I guess they didn't care about umpires. That, that's what that shows. But it's funny that you brought that up because I have a Milwaukee Brewer baseball schedule oh, here. Oh, you carry that in your wallet, don't yeah, you? And on the back, they have little known rules of baseball here, which is oh, kind of really? neat. Yeah. Okay. And, and it's got that rule that you just spoke of. That's called Rule 5.09G. I, th- I thought so. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah. Did you know that players of opposing teams are not supposed to fraternize at any time while in uniform? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Then they do. I think they uh, fraternize uh, pretty severely when they are at bases together. I think there's some nasty exchanges there. What about a designated hitter? What would happen if a designated hitter just decided to go sit in the bullpen? Instead of going up to bat? Instead of being anywhere else. Well, where else would he be? Well, you know, waiting in the oh, dugout the, oh, somewhere. The, oh, the bullpen, yeah. A designated hitter isn't, well, that's where the uh, pitchers go. I, I know, but they, but they, for some reason, it's like you said, for some reason they had to make this rule. This okay. is rule 6.10B15. A designated hitter is prohibited from sitting in the bullpen unless serving as a bullpen catcher. <laughs> oh, you can catch the ball, yeah. How Those bad. are just like three or four really arcane rules of baseball. I don't know how you would, being an umpire, and know all this yeah, stuff, you right. know. But And there are more. We'll come back to more of those in another episode. Ep- oh, exciting. Well, uh, let me finish with a, a, a baseball question. Okay. As of today, what's considered the most valuable baseball card? Well, I know that there was an old Honus Wagner that was considered very, very Honus? Uh, yeah, Honus Wagner, oh. famous player back in the oh. early, early parts of baseball of the 20th century. I thought that was it, but yeah, no. Yeah, I think at one time it was, but it's a 1952 Mickey Mantle baseball card from Topps. You remember Topps oh, baseball? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It sold for $5.2 million. Oh, my goodness. And is the most expensive card of all time, according to the PWCC Marketplace. You know, and I had, as a kid, I had all those guys. I had them. And they're worth a lot of money. Oh, now. I wish I still had those Mickey Mantle, Whitey Ford, that whole they're, Yankees yeah, it's team. The, especially their rookie cards. They're Jeez. worth a fortune. We could be living pretty high off the hog, Bob. Well... <laughs> So it goes. <laughs> and so it goes. <laughs> and I'll end with a quote from Edith Wharton. Okay. There are two ways of spreading light, to be the candle or the mirror that reflects it. That's why you're so successful and I sit there and bask in the glow. <laughs> Did I say the right thing? That, that works for me. Okay. <laughs> All right. That's it for the day. We hope you've enjoyed our show and we hope you join us again next time. <laughs>
I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. And you've been listening to The The Off-Ramp. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.